series. You know, a lot of churches you might have been to in the past, they teach series, you know, a four-week series on this topic and a four-week series on this topic. And, and it's one topic after another. Well, I find that when you preach through the whole Bible, the topics just come up on their own. And that's what I do. I preach through the Bible. I preach through 2 Corinthians on Sundays. preach through Revelation on Wednesday nights, if you want to join us for that. And the topics will come up. And so one of the topics that came up was comforting, being comforted when we struggle, when we're suffering. And the very first uh, verse that we, we covered in the message called God of All Comfort, I'll bring it up on the screen for you. Brandon will actually. Verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies, the God of all comfort. How many of you have suffered in the past as a believer, as a Christian, suffered a little bit? How many of you have just suffered in general? Okay, and you need comfort, right? I mean, God is the God of all comfort. Uh, The next message I preached on was called Clearing Your Conscience because, let's face it, we sin, we mess up. So when you mess up, fess up. God cleans you up. It's a beautiful thing. That's what communion is all about. Then there was the promise of eternal security. I love these verses in 2 Corinthians chapter 1. For all the promises of God find their yes in him. This is why it's through him we utter our amen to God for his glory. It's God who establishes us with you in Christ. And God has anointed Christians in such a way that he's put a seal on us. He gives us the Holy Spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. Once saved, always saved. The promise of eternal security. That was a great message. By the way, all these messages you can get on our website, on our YouTube channel, and check those out if you missed them. Then I preached the message on forgiving one another. came out of 2 Corinthians chapter 2. Every time I preach on forgiveness, stirs up emotions in people. Because it's not easy to forgive. But Paul points out why we must forgive as Christians. Why must you forgive when you're a Christian? It says in verse 11, so that we would not be outwitted by Satan. We are not ignorant of his designs. Some of us don't realize that by being bitter, by holding a grudge, that's actually Satan's plan. He comes to steal, kill, and destroy. He doesn't want you to restore your relationships. He wants you to break them. So that was an important message. Then it was smelling like Jesus. 2 Corinthians 2, verse 15, we are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. Jesus called his disciples to go and make disciples, multiply, be my witnesses everywhere you go. And sometimes we just need to smell like Jesus. We don't have to tell them about Jesus, or more probably uh, better is the way that Francis of Assisi said it many, many, many years ago, centuries ago. He said, share your testimony and use words if necessary. And that's smelling like Jesus. Then, chapter 3, there's a new covenant of grace because the old covenant of works never saved anybody. It's the new covenant of grace, the gift of God. And all of chapter 3, the ministers of the new covenant, Paul said they were. And then finally, to bring you up to the last one I did, the light of the world, 2 Corinthians 4, 6, God said, let light shine out of darkness just like he did in creation. Let light shine out of darkness. He has shown in our hearts, he's given us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. The gospel is simple. Let's keep it simple. We don't have to add anything to the gospel. We don't have to, we don't have to, I don't have to do anything up here on stage to, to make it better. There's power in the gospel, isn't there? Yeah, let's keep it simple. We don't add, we don't take away. 
We simply share with others the truth. The truth is there's the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus and the power that comes from the Holy Spirit when God shines light in the darkness. Uh, I posted on my Facebook post uh, around New Year's Eve, my prayer for 2024, my prayer for this year, is that Jesus, it's a scripture in Luke, that Jesus opens our minds to understand the scriptures. That this church, that all of us that we encounter, God would open their eyes to see the truth. Because the truth sets us free, doesn't it? The truth, the real truth. So let's pray right now as we dive into the word this morning that our eyes will be open. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you that it is sharp. It's living, it's active. That the Bible is not a history book. It is a living, breathing book of your voice. And if we want to hear from you, God, we've got to read your word. If we want to speak to you, then we pray like I am right now. Father, I pray that you would bless this time that we have here. In Jesus' name, amen. So, we're in this title, this new title, simple title that came right out of verse 7, Treasure in Jars of Clay. Treasure in Jars of Clay. How many of you remember this famous band that started in the 90s out of Nashville, Tennessee, called Jars of Clay? Anybody ever heard of Jars of Clay? All right, those are the people that have been Christians for a while. (laughs) Um, Yeah, I love that band. When I first became a Christian... Back uh, in 2000, so it's been over 20 years, I remember this band, they had two songs I really loved. One was called Like a Child, and the other one was Love Song for a Savior. If you get a chance to listen to those two songs from Jars of Clay, Like a Child, Love Song for a Savior, I guarantee you'll love them as much as, as I do. Um, I kind of was thinking about this verse um, in this title, Treasure in Jars of Clay, what that might make people think of. Like, let's say we did a random survey, asked 100 people, what do you think of when you hear treasure in jars of clay? Now, if you've never heard that before as a Christian, what do you think of? You know, even if those have read this verse before, what, what, what is the meaning of treasure in jars of clay? Well, it's my goal always to teach you what Scripture means and to teach you what the Bible says. We're here to help you get closer to God understand the Bible, and love one another. And so to understand this, we're going to go for it. We're going to get in there. We're going to see what does it mean, but more importantly, how does it apply to your life? I mean, you can't just take the Word of God, get smarter, right? So you can now just tell all your friends how much smarter you are now that you know more Bible verses. Uh, the, the Word doesn't just inform us. It transforms us. It changes us. So you Ready? I feel like there needs to be a little more energy in the room. Are you ready? Ah, all right, all right, good, good. All right, so let's start with verse 7. We have this treasure in jars of clay, Paul writes, to show the surpassing power belongs to God, not to us. Whenever you read a verse, amen, whenever you read a verse, and you begin to try to understand what it means, you ask it questions. Who, what, where, when, why, how. You ask questions. The very first question to me, and uh, on the, uh, let's bring that, keep that up on the screen so people can see it. The very first question is, is what is this treasure? Paul writes, we have this treasure. What treasure does he, is he talking about? So what, how do we understand any verse in the Bible? You know this by now. 
you've been in this church a while, context. We need context. We need to know what the, what the whole passage is about. We need to know what the book is about. We need to know what does it mean in the context of the whole Bible. We don't isolate verses, pull them out, and make them mean what we want to mean. Sadly, a lot of Christians do that. We don't want to do that. So what does this mean? What treasure is he talking about? Well, back in chapter 3, he said, um, we're ministers of the new covenant. And then in verse 4, at the very beginning of the chapter, he says, we have this ministry by the mercy of God, and we don't lose heart. Who was Paul, and, and who were his traveling companions, when he says, we have this ministry? Well, they were church planters. They traveled around the Mediterranean Sea. Not a bad place to travel, right? I mean, good weather there. Not like this, all right? That's why we shut the shades so you don't look outside, all right? I wanted to depress you here in Michigan in the winter. But these guys traveled around the Mediterranean Sea. They would go into a new town, and they would share the gospel with people. Well, how do they do that? They just walk up to strangers and start, well, probably, they might have, but mostly, I mean, it was probably in the marketplace. Paul was a tent maker, and he had a, he had a trade that he would do, and he, and he would just get to work in that town, and he would just kind of start rubbing elbows with people and talking with people and sharing the gospel. And so what they would realize is if people become, um, became Christians, if their eyes were open to the truth that Jesus was the Messiah, they would always go into the synagogue first and talk to the Jews, and then they would talk to the Greeks. And so they would share the gospel, the good news. If people responded, they started a church there. Okay, we got two, we got three, we got four. It's a Bible study. I mean, this church started with 20 people in the basement. Look now, look around. Look what God has done. God is growing us because people are hearing the truth, and they want to know the truth. They want to know the word. You want to know the word, right? Yes. Amen. I answer those questions for you sometimes. <laughs> so what is the treasure? The treasure is the gospel. Paul shared the gospel, the good news, that Jesus saved sinners. Paul says the same thing in the letter to the Romans. One of the best verses in Romans 1, verse 16, Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Gospel just is a word that means good news. I'm not ashamed of the good news, because it's the power of God for salvation to all those who believe. Doesn't matter if you're Jew or you're Greek, doesn't matter what nationality you are, it's the power of God that if you hear the good news and you believe, you're a Christian. The power of the gospel belongs to God. It, it changes people's lives. It transforms people's lives. Sometimes God does it you know, with the flip of a switch. I mean, literally, he says, light shining out of darkness. The flip of a switch. Boom, there's light in a person's life. Their eyes are open. Whoa, I understand. I've seen it happen. It's a beautiful thing. Sometimes it's gradual. Sometimes we come to church for a while, we're skeptical, we got questions, and it takes time. But eventually we see. We see the truth. Like that great song, Amazing Grace. Right? I once was blind, but now I see. And that's the power of the gospel. But here's the amazing part. Mind-boggling truth that Paul points out here. God uses jars of clay to carry around his treasure. Are you kidding, God? Why would you do that? Why would you not take treasure and put it in a lockbox, a safe, a vault? Why would you put it in a fragile jar of clay that's easily broken, crumbles over time? How many of you have some fine china at home? 
How many of you have seen some fine china? <laughs> all right. Many of you know what this is. All on uh, fancy, you know, fancy dishes um, that that uh, maybe on a special occasion you bring out the fine china and you have a, a meal or maybe just some tea. I don't know uh, what you do with your china. Maybe it just sits in a glass china cabinet so that everyone can see and so the kids can get yelled at when they play too close to it. Maybe that was just me. Thank you, Mother, for yelling at me all those years. Get away from our china cabinet. Fine china is often passed down from generation to generation. It's special. It's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's something that God would put his treasure in. But God doesn't do that. He puts his treasure in jars of clay, the everyday dishes. That doesn't make sense. Why would he do that? Well, back in the first century, they used these jars of clay as their dishes, their everyday... I mean, they didn't have Tupperware. There was no plastic. If you weren't rich, you didn't have metal containers. You had jars of clay. You had clay. Easily broken. Easy to make. Cheap. Paul references that the treasure will be held in these fragile holding containers. And what is he saying are jars of clay? He's talking about our bodies. He's talking about us, our fragile human bodies. Clearly, Apostle Paul was getting old when he wrote this. He understood that the older we get every year, we say, happy birthday to you. We realize, ah, oh, I'm getting older. I turned a big 50 last year, Amen. right? And, 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 and everything seems to be getting a little weaker. <laughs> Old folks, can I get an amen? amen. Somebody nudge the, the, the one sleeping next to you. Can I get an amen? amen? All right, just so people know at home, all right? We do have young people in the church, right? All right? And they're looking at me right now. They're saying, I'm not getting old. I'm in my prime. I'm getting stronger. Hitting the weights. Yeah, well, it, enjoy it while it lasts. <laughs> We're all jars of clay. Just like that, we can break. I love that movie, Grumpy Old Men. Walter Matthau, Jack Lemon in the drugstore, comparing their ailments to one another. Who suffered worse? Well, Paul's basically saying in this passage here that I've suffered more than either of you odd couple guys. You want to talk about suffering, boys? Paul's going to talk about suffering in chapter 11. He's going to give a list of all the ways that he suffered. But not only does our body naturally fall apart as we get old. When you're a Christian in a non-Christian part of the world, you should expect suffering. When you're a Christian in a non-Christian part of the world, you should expect suffering. Let me tell you what Paul says in verses 8 and 9. Paul got... A lot of suffering. He got, a lot, he got beat. He got, I mean, he, he got imprisoned. He, he went through a lot, as you'll see in verse 11, chapter 11. But, but when Paul um, experienced all of these things, this is what he says in verse 8. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not driven to despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Now these verses remind me of a favorite song that I had many years ago when I first became a Christian. And it was written by Daryl Evans. Not the old Tiger, first baseman. All right, I know some of you remember that guy. No, different Daryl Evans. 
And it was really ironic as I look back and I said to myself, this is kind of God's timing. You see, I was on the plane ride home, and I was um, listening to some music, and when you're on the plane, you're supposed to turn your phone on, on uh, airplane mode, which I did. And so uh, I'm listening to songs that I have downloaded onto my you know, playlist, and I was listening to an album that I would li- listen to when I first became a Christian, you know, when we actually bought CDs, remember those years? And, the, and I actually downloaded them. So I'm listening to this song by Daryl Evans called Trade in My Sorrows. Now some of you may or may not remember that song, Trade in My Sorrows, but I'm going to give you some of the lyrics. As I listen to this song, I realize, wow, this is 2 Corinthians. I'm trading my sickness, I'm trading my pain, I'm laying them down. For the joy of the Lord. And we say, yes, Lord, yes, Lord, yes, yes, Lord. Anyone else remember the song? I'm pressed, but not crushed. Persecuted, not abandoned. Struck down, but not destroyed. The rest of the song, I'm blessed beyond the curse, for his promise will endure. His joy is going to be my strength. Though the sorrow may last for the night, his joy comes in the morning. Clearly, that song is based on 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Paul says, we are afflicted. Let me tell you what he meant by that. Afflicted means to be pressed, compressed, pushed together. We're perplexed, which actually means without resources. We're losing resources. We're persecuted, which means chased away. And we're struck down, which means pushed down low. Paul's experience, pretty much every place he went, he got these things, because they either didn't believe that Jesus was the Messiah, or they thought he was a heretic, he was preaching heresy. He, he was, so he got these things, but this is what I find interesting. These are the same things that are happening today in America. We were founded as a Christian nation, weren't we? Amen. Yeah, but we've abandoned those roots, as evidence shows. See, when we share with other people today the truth about God's word, we share it as if it's absolute truth. But what happens today? What's going on today? It's afflicted. It's compressed. It's no, no, no. Your truth is just one of many truths. It's all relative. That's what we're told today. When we want to display the Ten Commandments for everyone to see, those resources are perplexed, removed from places. When we desire to pray in school, there's persecution. It's chased away. And when we stand with God on these hot topic issues like abortion and homosexuality, what is our voice? It's pushed down low because we live in a cancel culture. All these things that were happening to Paul are happening to us now in our very own nation. And what's next? I'll tell you what I think is next. It's physical persecution. Christians are going to go to jail in America, and they're going to get fined in America for being a Christian. The land of the free, the home of the brave, it's going to be the land of the prisoner and the home of the hostage. Very soon. But don't be discouraged, Christians, because if it happens, Paul says, we will not be crushed. We will not be driven to despair. We are not forsaken and we are not destroyed. Because whatever you do to this jar of clay, you cannot mess with the treasure that's inside. The power's in the gospel, not the jar of clay. Amen? So we continue 
to share the gospel, to deliver the treasure, because it is the surpassing power that belongs to God. Paul knew his life on earth would end eventually, but he understood that gospel would go until Jesus comes back. In jars of clay, think about it, 12 disciples? How many Christians are there now? More than a billion. It's amazing what God can do if, if, he lets, if we are those jars of clay. I, I want to tell you what Paul said in Philippians 3. He said, that I may know Jesus and the power of his resurrection. But he also said that I may share his sufferings and become like him in his death because I too want to experience a resurrection. Paul was ready to die like Jesus, willing to suffer for Jesus, but excited to be resurrected by Jesus. Do you share in the same enthusiasm? Do you live every day as a jar of clay with an amazing treasure inside of you? I hope you do. That's the goal as Christians, that this jar of clay would have this beautiful treasure and we'd share it with others. Verse 10, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus so the life of Jesus may be manifested in us. Verse 12, so death might be at work in us, Paul says, but life is in you. I think Paul lived every day with the goal of seeing others experience God's grace, his amazing grace. He, he desperately wanted to see people go to heaven. I mean, that was his mentality. Like, can you imagine, just like every day, just thinking, all right, who am I going to meet today, Lord? Who am I going to meet in the marketplace today? Who can, I who can I talk with? Who can I share the gospel with? Who might become a Christian today because I'm going to share the gospel with them? Because I'm going to tell them that God loves them and he sent his son Jesus to die for them. That they can actually be forgiven. Even though nobody else will forgive him, God will. Like, that's every day for him. Is that every day for us? Every day, excited that we can share this treasure with someone else. I read this book. I, my goal was to read a few books on vacation. I read three of them, um, the three books that I wanted to read. And one of them was a really good story uh, called Out of a Far Country, referencing the prodigal son coming out of a far country, returning home. It was a story, uh, twofold actually, of a young man who initially placed his identity in homosexuality. And his mother was the other part of the story, for she um, nearly ended her own life because her son came out as a gay man. This family was not religious at all, but God shined light, his light into their darkness. The mother's eyes were opened first to God's grace, and as she began to grow as a Christian, she had a prayer closet that she would go into daily, and she would pray for her lost son to put his identity in Christ. But she did something else that I found to be really interesting and surprising. Whenever our kids get in trouble, sometimes our parents like to defend our kids to the end. Like, no way is my son guilty. No way is my daughter, did my daughter do that. Uh, parents, I know you don't have to raise your hand. You don't have to... I understand. We want to think the best for our kids. This mother knew her son was guilty. In fact, he got in some trouble with the law and he was going to be facing a jail sentence. Could have been a lengthy jail sentence. He became a drug dealer and in the midst of the lifestyle that he was living. And so he's in trouble with the law, he's at the sentencing, and the mother speaks to the judge and she simply asks, please give my son a prison sentence long enough 
to open his eyes to God's grace. Wow. I found that to be powerful. And don't you know it? In prison, her son found Jesus. He put his identity in Christ instead of homosexuality. And now he's a professor at the Moody Bible Institute in Chicago. And he actually created a curriculum called Holy Sexuality for Young People. It's an amazing story. I was so encouraged by it because I believe it was the mother's prayers that opened his eyes to God's grace. I've often shared with you that it was my mother who prayed for me when I was out in a far country. Actually, it was pretty far up north at Michigan Tech. (laughs) But mama's prayers, the power of dedicated prayer. Are you praying daily for others to come to Christ? Are you in a, do you even have a prayer closet? Get one. Find one. Pray every day to see others know Jesus. It's a great way to live life. Amen? Yes. Let's finish with verses 16 through 18. We do not lose hearts. Paul writes, Though our outer self is wasting away, this jar of clay has fallen apart, our inner self is being renewed day by day. He writes this, For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal way to glory. That's beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but we look to the things that are unseen. The things that are seen are transient, which means temporary. But the things that are unseen, those are eternal. And I want to bring on the screen for you this verse 17. Paul writes, This light momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal way to glory. You see the contrast here? He calls it light momentary affliction. Now, you go home today and you read 2 Corinthians chapter 11, you'll see Paul's light momentary affliction. It wasn't very light. In fact, you'd be shocked at how much he took in the name of Jesus. In fact, you might even utter the words of Job's wife when he suffered all that he did, just curse God and die. It was that bad. Paul took a lot of beatings. And I'll be honest, I know some some of us here are suffering today. Some of us don't see these, these things that are going on in our life as light and momentary. Maybe you blame God for what's going on in your life. Maybe you blame yourself. Maybe you blame others. Maybe you blame the devil. But if you're suffering, if you're hurting, if you're feeling defeated, if you're feeling broken, and you're not really seeing it as light, momentary affliction, you actually see it as very heavy and very difficult, I want to tell you, you're here for a reason. God wanted you to hear this message. God wanted you to know the truth, that it is light, it is momentary. Affliction is light, glory is heavy. Affliction's temporary, glory's permanent. God will never waste your suffering. God doesn't ignore your suffering. God hears our suffering, and he actually does something about it. If you read Revelation 6, you'll see that those martyrs cried out with a loud voice, and the Lord hears them. And what does he do? He gives them a white robe, which represents holiness. And he tells them to rest a little longer until the rest of the saints have come in. Because God has a plan. God has had a plan from Genesis all the way to Revelation. And that plan is to redeem you when you put your faith in Jesus Christ. Christians spend eternity enveloped by the glory of God. That's heavy. It's not light and momentary. We're going to spend a little time on this earth. 
James calls it a mist. That's our length of time on this earth compared to eternity. And as all, as all of us know, our time on earth here, or when we look out in this place, we realize it's not perfect. What God created, sin corrupts. What God designed, sin distorts. So because of all the sin in the world, we suffer. But it's not forever. Let's look forward to the glory of heaven, the resurrected body, our heavenly home, which I'm going to explain next week so you can't miss it. Come back. Chapter 5. But in the meantime, know that you have a treasure in your jar of clay. And be encouraged that there's power in that treasure. Share it with others. Pray. Their eyes will be open to know the truth. Pray that their identity would be placed in Christ alone and nothing else. And maybe your eyes have been opened today to a truth. Maybe God has been speaking to your heart. Maybe you're feeling some emotions right now and they're, they're pretty strong. Don't dismiss them. Don't leave without talking to me or someone on our prayer team. Or at least filling out that connection card so we can maybe talk later. If God's speaking to you, listen. Don't run away. Run into his arms. Just like we say. Because we're all broken vessels. And only God can put us back together. Amen? Let's pray. Father, your word is powerful. Your word is true. Your word is comforting. And your spirit takes your word and changes us from the inside out. Father, I pray it it does its work today. I pray it encourages and builds up this church. And I pray if there's anyone here today that feels convicted, that wants to be forgiven, that, Lord, they would come to you. They would just simply bow their head and call on you and ask you to help them, to save them, to show them mercy and grace. Father, I know you'll hear that prayer, and I know you'll respond. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, and everyone said, Amen. Amen.